energy. Can we all just admit that I was right about Mac Jones from the start? He's good. He's not great. And they have made him worse by what they have done to him this year. The passion. This UVM team is the most athletic team I can remember in the eight years I've been covering them. They're that fast. They're that quick. They're that bouncy. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Craig Breslow might be great. But he's got to start spending money. I think he's going to, but he better start soon. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Wednesday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM at WDEVradio.com. Shorter show tonight, everybody. We're up till 645, then it's high school basketball. It is the season. Montpelier and Lamoille on the boys' side. Brent Curtis will be standing courtside for that one. Should be a good one. We're happy to bring to you here on DEV. Tom Karen of Nesson will stop by tonight. He'll do so at about 6.05 today. Talk about the Red Sox, the pursuit of Yamamoto, the pressure on Craig Breslow, etc. You can get it on the text line 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. I am here. You are here. Danny is here. Let go. 5, 4, 3, 2... One. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff. And Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, also Rouse's Point, New York. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Danny, you and I both made it through last night. We were, we were texting each other until almost 1 in the morning. Celtics Warriors. Celtics lose that game 132 to 126. It went overtime. It was an entertaining game. It was a fun game to watch. Unfortunately, it is an incredibly disappointing loss for the Boston Celtics. And Danny, I don't want to overreact to one NBA game, because I get all the cliches, right? It's one of 82. Um, everybody makes a run. It's hard to win on the road. I get all the cliches. And at the end of the day, the Celtics are still 20-6. and six. They are still a very good team. But that loss yesterday against the Golden State Warriors, this Golden State Warriors team that's under 500 playing without Draymond Green, that is the kind of loss that still elicits questions about the Boston Celtics. Whether they're fair or not, a loss like that brings up all the old wounds and all the old questions for the Celtics. Can they beat the Warriors specifically? Can they get over the hump? Can they close? Can they stay focused for a full 48 minutes? It's that kind of performance and that kind of letdown that opens up all of those questions yet again for, can Joe Missoula win the big one? Why did Missoula win, hit it, you know, call a timeout? Oh, Jalen and Jason had one bucket combined in the fourth quarter and overtime. Are either one of them truly winning players that you can build around? Fair or not, those are the questions that are being asked today about the Boston Celtics. Celtics had a 17-point lead against the Warriors and choked it away. Celtics had an 11-point lead yesterday going into the fourth quarter and choked it away. Celtics had multiple looks at the basket with a chance to win the game inside 45 seconds to play and missed them all. Whether we're talking about Jalen Brown missing a bunny from four feet, we're talking about Derek White, who played great, missing several wide-open threes, a questionable-ish shot from Jason Tatum that would have given the Celtics the win at the end of regulation. All of that culminated in a failure yesterday. So, yes, fun game, entertaining 
Tuesday night basketball game in December, but a very disappointing loss, a very frustrating loss, and Danny, a loss that brings up a lot of familiar questions for this team. Questions about Missoula, questions about their finishing ability, questions about all of it. I am, I'm not so mad that the Celtics lost yesterday as I am disappointed. Because we talked yesterday about it being a chance for the Celtics to make a statement. We talked about it for the chance Celtics to mentally get over the hump. We talked about it for the Celtics to kind of regain psychological confidence, and they weren't able to do any of it. And, in fact, the way they lost yesterday I think is going to be fairly demoralizing. I don't think they're going to go on a nine-game losing streak because of it. I think they'll be able to turn this to flip the script pretty quickly because that's what that's what teams do. That's no what choice. Play tonight. <laughs> right. That's what professional athletes do. But when we get to May and we get to June and we're wondering, can they go on the road and beat – Insert whatever team in whatever situation it is. Can they beat Philly again in the Eastern Conference Finals? Can they close it out? They've done that before. I think they'd be okay there. Could they beat Miami again if it's Miami? Could they play goal? Can they beat whoever it is? Phoenix, the Lakers, whoever it could be out with. Denver, I don't care. Right? They're, you lose a game like this, a game you had in control against a team with championship pedigree, and I think at the very least you have to doubt yourself. I presume, Danny, because you're more of a one of 82 guy, I presume you're not as disillusioned as I am by this loss. But there's no way you could sit here and think that last night was some kind of positive here. It wasn't. No, there's not positives, but I just don't want it to pick up a trend. Like, they've been better at closing out games this year. That looked like a, one of those games from last year where they just kind of fall apart in the fourth. I saw and they've been a, a bad third quarter team this year. This game they had a good third quarter and a bad fourth quarter. They had so. an awful second quarter yeah. and a bad fourth quarter. It was you're right. It was a different kind of flop than they've had in the past. I saw a very good quote. And I believe it was from Mark Dindero of WEI who put it out on Twitter. And, and and I think it's just worth noting. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, something to the effect of there's a winning DNA, and there's winning a lot of games. And the two things are not necessarily the same. The Celtics will win a lot of games, right? They will win, they will win 54, 55, 60 games this regular season. There's winning a lot of games, and there's having a winning DNA. And what the Celtics will continue to be up against with a performance like yesterday is the notion that they don't have a winning DNA. The notion that Tatum and Brown are not winning players. The notion that Joe Missoula can't close out a victory and can't handle, can't handle the big moments, right? It's easy when you're beating Orlando by 20. It's less easy when you've got Steph and Clay. And Clay, we talked about yesterday, his shot looking broken. It wasn't broken yesterday, right? No, he Clay, was good. He was very good yesterday. And, it doesn't it's, take much for him. He gets a no, rhythm. It's he can do it. He can do it. It's different when you are in that situation versus taking on kind of the Johnny-come-latelys of the league like Orlando. I don't know that I've ever seen a team have seven players in double figures yesterday like the Celtics didn't lose, but that's what the Celtics did. Now, Danny, I do think it's fair to note Jason Tatum played that game at, I don't know, 65%, 70% with the rolled ankle. And He's not playing Thompson tonight, so it clearly hurt a little bit. Clearly bothered him. And he said so after the game. He said, look, it affected me. I'm not making an excuse. And he was out there, so I'm, you know, he, he gutted it out. But he's not the same player after the ankle turn, 
which, by the way, I'm frankly happy that's all it was because it looked downright nasty. As someone who's turned their ankle multiple times, I've seen that dance before. That's no fun. And Kristaps Porzingis didn't play yesterday. So we can look at this and say, okay, like I can rationalize it. Well, Porzingis didn't play and Tatum was hurt. And if they had had those guys, they'd run Golden State out of the gym. But you know what? They were running Golden State out of the gym anyways with what they had and found a way to blow it. Just because you have Porzingis or just because you'd have Tatum doesn't necessarily mean that your mindset would have been different or your mindset would have shifted. It is a very disappointing loss yesterday. A very disappointing loss. 802-585-3026. All right, so, Danny, let's talk a little bit about kind of the in-game stuff and the after-the-game stuff. Um, Danny, play me the highlight because it's an important one. This was Jalen Brown. I think this was late in the third quarter, if I'm remembering correctly. This was Jalen Brown getting a bucket on Steph Curry. Brown, again, hunting Curry, playing with four, draws the foul, and scores, and says he's too little. Five fouls against Steph Curry. Jalen Brown is cooking. Yeah, Jalen Brown was playing very well, and I don't mind a little trash talk. I don't know that I'd be trash talking Steph, though. Like, that guy doesn't need a whole lot of motivation, so I don't know that I'd be giving him motivation. And by the way, Steph's going to the Hall of Fame. And I get Jalen Brown's an all-star, and he's a $300 million player now almost, but I don't know that I'd be trash talking Steph. But that's aside the point. You, besides the point. You heard the call there that that was Steph Curry's fifth foul. From that point forward, one, now Steph went, he went out for a while. But when he came back in, the Celtics really tried to do their part to foul him out of the game. They were unable to foul him out of the game. They kind of deviated from their regular offense to try to go specifically at Steph. After the game, Jalen Brown said maybe that wasn't the right move. Yeah, they did a good job of hiding them. Um, And, you know, we were trying to put them in action. They were doing a good job of hiding them. And I felt like if we would have just played instead of looking around, maybe like we would have been able to attack, but we were trying to put them in certain actions, and I think that kind of hurt us. Um, but for the most part, I thought we were intentional tonight about how we wanted to go about attacking the matchups, and, you know, uh, we got a lot of wide-open looks. It just came up short. Danny, do you think that's a shot at Joe Missoula when, when Brown says, you know, essentially, I wish we wouldn't have based our whole offense around going at Steph? Do you think that is a a player subconscious thing, or do you think that is a coaching directive? Hey, we're going to go at this guy, and Jalen Brown is saying, Coach, you screwed us. How do you take that? No, I think the players like to hunt matchups all the time, foul trouble or not. Steph Curry's been the weakest defender on his team for a while. He's not a horrible, horrible defender, but that's the matchup team's hunt. And so if he's going to be out there, they're going to do that. So you don't think that Jalen Brown's taking a shot at Joe Missoula? No, not at all. The players wanted to do that. They were in on it. I tend to agree with you, but it took myself some convincing this morning. Like, just for a process standpoint, right? Like, you and I watch the game. We're texting through the game a little bit. And I go to bed, and I wake up in the morning, and I go back and I watch the press conference stuff. When I first heard that this morning, I was like, wow, Jalen Brown's calling out Missoula. Right, like he's going at Missoula there. He's just taking his head coach to task publicly. And it took a few hours for me to kind of change my direction. 
I don't think he's going at Missoula. I think he's just going at the team, and I think he's also calling himself out in that. Because I do think it is, I think it is human nature when the other team's best player is in foul trouble. I think it's human nature to go at them. And I put myself in his shoes and I said, you know what? If I were playing a men's league game and I knew that their best player had five fouls, I would have, I would have said, look, Whoever's guarding him, get in the post and body him up and and back him down, and you're going to score a bucket or you're going to get fouled, he's going to be gone. That's exactly what I would have done as a men's league player. Of course they're doing that in the NBA, right? Joe Missoula might have said it. They would have agreed with it. If Joe Missoula didn't say it, they would have just done it on their own. That is how smart basketball players work, and every one of those players on the floor is smart. Al Horford is a longtime veteran. Drew Holiday is a longtime veteran. Jalen and Jason are six, seven, eight years now at this point in the league. Almost everybody who plays regularly for the Celtics is a true veteran. All of them would have, to Danny's point, hunted the matchup because Curry's not known as a great defender, but also hunted the matchup because Curry has five fouls. So at first I thought Brown was taking Joe Mazzulla to task. I walked that back in my own mind by about noon today. And I think it's just an everybody's all-encompassing. If it's hard for me to even say it's a failure. It didn't work, and I understand where you can get so focused singularly on one thing that it takes you out of rhythm, and that's, that is what happened in the fourth quarter in overtime yesterday. But I can't sit here and say it's wrong because it's exactly what I would have done. Playing the it's, result. like it's, The process right. is correct. You're supposed to hunt the guy out. The thing that is interesting, though, and, and – I don't know at what point you put a limit on it, but like I'm thinking to myself, at some point, you do need to stop doing that. And I, I didn't go back and watch the game a second time or anything. I'd probably have to really do that to fully understand it. But I feel like Steph came back into the game eight minutes or so left. You go with him for a couple of minutes, a couple of possessions, and then at some point there's like three minutes left in the game, and you're like, okay, this is no longer needing to be the focus. It's one thing if we can get Steph off the court for the final 11 minutes or the final eight minutes. It's a little less valuable to waste a bunch of possessions trying to do that and then say, hey, we fouled him out with 90 seconds to play. And you know the refs are not going to call it with three minutes left. Right. At some point you have to move on from it. I'd have to go back again and really watch it closely, but at some point you got to give in on it. It didn't feel like every possession to me. They got a lot of open shots in the fourth as well. They did. Derek White, and look, Derek White played great, and I'm not going to knock him in any way because he had 30. He was a leading scorer on a night where Porzingis didn't play and where Tatum is out. He delivered what he was supposed to and more, but, man, he had like four wide-open looks. That... Hauser 0 for 7. Yeah, Hauser was. You had texted me about Hauser, too. And saying, you know, basically, where is he tonight? And yeah, he did not have a good game. But Kata, you know, stepped up to his credit and had 10. Um, he had a double-double, I think, yeah. Yeah, he had 10 bad. and 10, which is great. But, you know, White, he had four or five shots there that he really could have done some damage. Pritchard had another three, but his foot was on the line. So those are little <laughs> possessions where the lead could have changed, you know, differently. Well, tough loss. And they're playing the Kings tonight. And they're going to play them without Tatum. And the Kings are good, man. And as I said, the Kings are West Coast Indiana. And that Indiana team beat the Celtics in the in-season tournament. Now, are the Kings flawless? No, they're certainly not. They are, you know, kind of in that 5-6 range right now in the West. But they're fun to watch. They'll get up, down, up and down and run. They can get the Celtics some problems. So you could be looking 
at two losses here in this part, in this portion of your road trip, which would be tough. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Adam Jones of WEEI in Boston is usually somebody that I disagree with on a lot of things. Today he said something I couldn't possibly agree more with. I'll tell you what that was next. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show. We're here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We are going to have uh, Tom Karen of Nesson on with us in about 15 minutes or so. He'll be with us about 6.05 here on this Wednesday. Earlier in the show, I spoke to Freddie Coleman. Earlier in the day, I spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. That interview will be posted shortly on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. You know, Adam Jones is a radio host at WEI in Boston, and I think he's very, very talented. I don't agree with a lot of things that he has to say. I think a lot of things he says are just done to get a rise out of the, the listeners and stuff, but that's fine. I, you know, again, I think he's very talented. I don't always agree. On this one, this is, I agree with this with every fiber of my being. He was talking about the New England Patriots and talking about the direction he wants the Patriots to go at quarterback. This one could not be more dead on Jonesy. I want the mobility. I want the off-platform, off-script ability. I don't care so much about accuracy. I don't. I don't think you need to be purely accurate when you can make plays with your feet and make defenses pay. And so the beauty of drafting one or two, and maybe even in the top five if Jaden Daniels is there, is you're going to get that player. Because I think that's desperately what they need. They need to reimagine their whole organization. And maybe if Bill is gone, this happens automatically. Because Bill has a type, and Bill has a preference for a certain type of quarterback. Hopefully they reimagine how they look at QB. Because what I don't need is a pocket passer who's accurate and can't move and can't play off script. And it's all about the coaching in 2023. Because that doesn't work. Could not agree more. And I've been saying that for years, and I'm glad other people are on this way of thinking now as it relates to the Patriots. If you want to play quarterback now in the NFL at a young age, that is what you need to be. You have to be mobile. You have to be able to move outside the pocket. And you have to be able to make those off-script, off-platform plays. Because I was having this debate with someone the other day. Let me explain this to you. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning were all phenomenal, right? They were all phenomenal. They were all pocket passers. Part of the reason that they were able to be so good is that they had all the answers to the tests, right? They could decode a defense. They could read a defense. They could understand a defense. They knew what they were doing pre-snap, whatever. So they had all the answers to the tests. Well, now it, like, it takes several years to get to a point where you have all the answers to the tests. Right, It takes several years, probably four or five years, until you can truly be that good pre-snap and recognizing everything. But a lot of these guys, they don't get four years to sit and learn. Because if they're not, like they're, most rookie quarterbacks now, they aren't sitting behind a veteran for very long. So they're not getting three, four years on the bench to learn. And they're also not given a whole lot of time and a whole lot of patience from organizations. Look at Zach Wilson. Right? Like, you're discarded after two years. Discarded after one and a half years. They, hey, Josh Rosen, one year you can't play, we're out. So you don't get four and five years to learn all the answers. Right? You don't get four or five years to get all the answers to the test. So what do you need while you are accumulating the answers? 
You need the raw athleticism to help get you out of bad situations. Because if you are a quarterback that can move, right, you may not be able to decode what's happening pre-snap, right? So you hike the ball. You can kind of see as you're going on, all right, this is not real great for me. Well, what Mac Jones does is Mac Jones stays in the pocket and delivers a hurried throw and throws an interception. Mac Jones stays in the pocket and takes a sack, and now it's second and 18 instead of something else, right? The mobile quarterback doesn't see it pre-snap, but sees it in front of them that this isn't great. So they bail, and what they do is they get outside the pocket, and they run, and they turn that second and 18 sack into a four-yard gain, and it's second and six now, and it's much more manageable. Or they're able to turn it into a first down, a la Lamar Jackson, a la Justin Fields. Or they're able to buy time, buy time, buy time, roll out, roll out, roll out, and then eventually somebody comes open because that's what happens in the NFL. It's hard to play in coverage for six and eight seconds. Eventually, if you're in that, if you're in coverage for that long and everybody's playing backyard football, somebody gets open or a penalty happens because that's also what happens in the NFL and you've created a positive, right? Back in the day, Danny, when you were first starting to watch football, back in the day, young quarterbacks sat for two and three years, right? I remember Carson Palmer sitting behind John Kitna. I remember Aaron Rodgers sitting behind Brett Favre, right? That is very, very rare nowadays. Guys get drafted, they get thrown right into the fire, and they say, we will give you on-the-job training. Well, when you're getting on-the-job training, you do not have all the answers to to the test pre-snap. You can't diagnose everything. So while you are learning that stuff with your mind, you need to have the athleticism to get yourself out of bad place. And I get the danger in it, right? Guys don't, people don't want a mobile quarterback because they don't want a guy getting hurt. We saw what happened to Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis this year where he plays three games and he gets injured. Lamar Jackson has missed time in his career. I get the risk of it. But I would rather have that and somebody who is exciting and somebody who can create and somebody who can help my squad Versus somebody who sits back there and is as a sitting duck. And the mobile quarterback helps the organization that is lacking in a lot of other ways also, right? Offensive line play is the worst it's ever been in the NFL. People come out, they don't want to play offensive line, right? There's less people that want to play it. Then you can't really practice it in the offseason. You can't hit at training camp very much. So offensive line play is severely lacking. So the line is invariably going to break down or someone's going to get injured. The mobile quarterback helps cover for that. We look at the Patriots who don't have any weapons on the outside. Well, what we're asking the Patriots to do with Bailey Zappi and with Mac Jones, what we're asking them to do is to have these receivers win the battle. And they're incapable of winning the battle. The mobile quarterback that takes it from a two-second, you have to win the battle, to now a six-second, and again, somebody's going to unstick themselves in six seconds. Now I have helped you. You no longer have to win the battle one-on-one easily. I'm winning it for you. I'm able to run and run and run and buy time, and eventually my guys that can't get open on their own are given more of a chance to get open. This is the way football works in 2023. Did you watch Patrick Mahomes the other day? Yes. 
Patrick Mahomes is great on his own. He absolutely is. But how many times does Mahomes roll right, flush right, you come try to get him, now he steps up in the pocket, and boom, there's a throw he makes on one foot, and there's a receiver open in the middle of the field. Right? Mahomes, he had a couple of them, first pass of the game, deep pass down the sideline, that he just stood in the pocket and just fired a beauty. But more often than not, it was him kind of playing helter-skelter, backyard football, being a little bit creative, a little bit imaginative, and finding guys who got open. Right? That That's how this is done now. And that's what the Patriots need. So we if we want to talk about, hey, do they need a stopgap court? Some of you want the Patriots to draft Marvin Harrison and then have Andy Dalton or or Drew Locke or Sam Darnold or whoever. I, I don't want that stuff. Right, I want a young, mobile quarterback, a guy that can make things happen with his feet, a guy who can make things happen when other people or when other things break down. And I, there are some concerns about the mental toughness of Caleb Williams. Oh, when we really get to draft prep, we can talk about that stuff. But he's that kind of player, at least physically. Drake May, I don't know enough about at the moment. Right, full transparency. I'm not in on draft prep yet. So maybe it's him. Jaden Daniels, I know, is that guy. But that's the kind of guy you have to be. Right, you're not going to get Patrick Mahomes himself. But can you get a player like that? Right, I think about guys in the NFL. Two texters want to know about Justin Fields. I want Justin Fields. But, I you know, Matt, Matt Verderam of the fan side had said, he doesn't want Justin Fields because he said if Justin Fields is available for trade, what does that tell you? If he's not good enough for the Bears, then he's not good enough for me. Or the Bears um, could just be bad at evaluating. Well, look, the Bears are going to have the number one pick, right? The Bears are going to have the number one pick. So they can do whatever the hell they want. If they want to take a quarterback and restart the the salary, the quarterback salary structure, there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. So if I'm Chicago, I would strongly consider that. That would make Fields available. But then you're going to have one year to decide whether you want to give him $35 million for, you know, or $30 million in a fifth year option. And then soon you have to pay him $175 million. I get why the Patriots might not want to do that, given that that's a lot of money and you also would have a chance to reset the, uh, the quarterback market. I like Justin Fields. I think there's something there. Money wise, it might be too difficult given what I just laid out. But, uh, Texter says, what about Pats trading for Justin Fields and drafting Marvin Harrison? That's not going to happen. That would never happen, right? Because if the Patriots traded for Justin Fields, they'd be giving up a first-round pick, and they'd be trading the number two or the number three pick in the draft to get Justin to get him. And I don't think, I don't think the Pats, like, I don't think they would do that. You know what I mean? Like, or even if they if they traded their number two pick for Justin Fields, they're not then able to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. That's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, would you like to see the Patriots? have fields in New England, unless the Patriots are trading the Bears the first-round pick next year, I, I just don't see it happening. I think the Bears would want a first-round pick this year for Justin Fields, so they can go and get everything done all in the span of one-off season. It is the Brady Farkas Show, but I do love Justin Fields. I wanted the Patriots to draft him uh, long ago. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Yeah, some from, from uh, some uh, frenetic moments into the CBS News update there. Let me kind of flesh out a little bit more of the conversation real quick before we get to Tom Karen. So, yes, I love Justin Fields, right? I think there's immense talent there. Immense athleticism, good arm, played major college football, has gotten a lot better here as the season's gone on. I would love to have Justin Fields on the New England Patriots. From a contract perspective, it is not the smartest thing that you could do, right? I can have five years of an affordable quarterback. With Fields, I could have two years of an affordable quarterback, and then I'd have to pay him 150 to $200 million. And while I think he's good, I don't know that he's worth that or ever going to be worth that. So there are serious contract questions here. And then there's the matter of what Fields is worth. I think the Bears will want a first-round pick, right? When if, if I say, hey, I've got a young quarterback who's shown improvement, who has great athleticism, who's affordable for two years, my asking price is a first-round pick. Now, I don't believe the Patriots will give up the number two pick in the draft for Justin Fields, right? I don't think they will give up the number two pick in the draft. I think they would give up a first-round pick next year and just hope that they're a whole lot better next year. And so that first-round pick is number 25 instead of number two. So the idea that the Patriots could trade for Justin Fields and draft Marvin Harrison Jr., that probably is fair, right? That probably is a fair idea because I don't think the Patriots would give up number two. Before we went to the break, I started thinking, you know, I was thinking, okay, no, it's not possible, but I think it is, right? I think if a team was drafting 20th this year, they'd probably do it. A team drafting second probably wouldn't, and you'd have to look at next year's first-round pick. So I think it is a possibility here. Now the question then becomes, do you like Justin Fields and Marvin Harrison and that combo, or do you like keeping all of your picks, drafting whoever you want it to, and then getting a wide receiver in the second round, the third round, fourth round, signing one in free agency, whatever. I probably, probably like draft a quarterback young, reset my quarterback market, and then find my wide receivers elsewhere. As good as Harrison is, and as good as he's projected to be, I have just seen enough wide receivers hit second round, third round, fourth round. And you can get multiple of them. Free agency. I tend to lean that way as much as I like Justin Fields. If the Bears made Justin Fields available for a second-round pick, i do it in a heartbeat. I just don't think they would. I just don't think they would. Tech says that's a fair point about opting to reset the QB salary clock with a rookie quarterback. We will see what happens. I may go back and forth on this ten times by the time the draft actually comes. I love Fields. I wanted them to draft him instead of Mac Jones. Back when they drafted back. I was an advocate of Justin Fields all the way back then in the draft of 2021. I would love for them to have him, but I think I value the rookie contract stuff more than Justin Fields. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I want to go out to the phone line and bring on our guy Tom Karen, TC over at Nesson, talking a little Red Sox offseason with us. Here We missed T.C. last week. I know T.C. was out in Vegas. Danny tells me we've got him on the phone line now. T.C., how are you? Doing well, Brady. How are you doing? I am doing well as well. 
How badly do the Red Sox need Yamamoto? Not just from the pitching staff perspective, but from a PR perspective. How bad do they need a big win? It's they could use a big win. There's no doubt about that. I, it was funny. I saw someone on MLB.com wrote something and ranked what teams needed them the most. They had the Red Sox like sixth, mm-hmm. which was crazy to me. Uh, I and you know he would fix a lot of problems right away. Right, the, the signing of Yamamoto would would help fix their pitching. Would give them probably a number one, if not a number two, uh, and 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 really solidify or start to solidify a rotation that badly needed. Uh, badly needs it. Secondly, you would sort of end the, uh, the 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 gnashing of teeth and wailing that the Red Sox are doing nothing and are a small budget team and will never spend money again and. When they say full throttle, they don't know what they're talking about. All of that goes away when you sign a premier pitcher. That and, and listen, everything I've been able to learn from the inside is that they are in. They think they have a shot, uh, but they also understand that the, the 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 competition is as deep as it gets. Right? Every big market team is in on Yamamoto. Every team is willing to open up the purse strings. Uh, and there comes a point where it's not about being cheap or not spending money. It comes a point where you have to decide how much risk, how many years are you willing to accept? Uh, and I don't know where the Red Sox are. And I will say this as the final thing. I don't know a lot because the, the usual sources that, that tell me a little bit, uh, <laughs> even off the record that I can't share, are not saying anything right now, which I think is a good thing because everything I've heard, from around the industry is that he wants this done somewhat in secrecy, some, not quite the Otani lockdown, uh, but and they are trying to get this done without giving away anything. And that's why you haven't heard a lot of definitive reports. You've heard a lot more from the Mets camp, media covering the Yankees, media covering the Dodgers have a lot more detail than what the Red Sox are, are not doing. I don't know what they're doing, but I know they would love to get Yamamoto. You mentioned the full throttle comment that came, I believe, from Sam Kennedy at the Craig Breslin. I think it was press... Tom Warner. Okay, was Tom, Tom Warner, Warner at, the press conference. At, at a press conference. I was listening or reading, rather, Buster Olney and Peter Gammons on social media going back and forth a little earlier this morning saying they feel bad for Breslow that he's now up against this full throttle, full throttle comment, that ownership makes the comments and now he bears the brunt of fans who thinks they're not going full throttle. Do you feel bad for Breslow in, in, in this situation so far? I, I really don't. I, this is, to me, the last, I don't know, five days have been everything that's wrong with baseball Twitter. Okay. Uh, it's just been, you know, opening days in April, 10 of the 15 top free agents by most uh, lists are still available. And, and this whole screaming about whether or not they've gone full throttle uh, is acting like you have to have a player on December 20th to be competitive in 2024. It, it, you know, listen, there's urgency. I'd love to see them sign somebody, but nobody else has signed them either yet. And, and, and it seems like all I read on Twitter every day, and I, I, I'm going to walk away from it now for a few days. I really am because there's a lot of these sort of fan driven accounts that have built up some, and I don't know what their sources are. I don't know what they know. Uh, but it's every day it's been, they have no chance. They're out. Oh, wait, they're back in. Oh, they're not going to spend the money. Oh, wait, they're going to spend $300 million. They're not going full throttle. They don't care about 2024. It, it's a negotiation. It's going on. And and so back to your original point, do I feel bad for Craig Breslow? No, because he hasn't failed on Yamamoto yet. He hasn't missed out 
on 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 Montgomery or Snell or any of the other guys who still are out there. If they all sign with other teams, then yeah, I do feel bad that he got pinned up against a full throttle comment that he didn't say. But he did say at the day of the press conference that financial resources won't be a problem. They will be all in to get the best players. So let's see if that's true. Tom Karen, Sox Insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Let me ask you a nerdy question that we could probably do a dissertation on, but I'll try to keep it shorter. So I've been reading a lot this offseason, right? I'm reading about my Mariners. I'm reading about the Twins, teams that are in television deal hell, and it's causing them to spend less money. Talk to me, educate me a little bit about how that works, right? The Red Sox own Nesson. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't know if that leads to more money spent or less money spent. How does the TV deal impact what a team can do? The TV deal impacts what a team can do the same way any other revenue stream a team has or a company has, right? If ticket sales are down, you have less money to pay players. If you're not getting as much money from your TV deal, you have less money to pay players. And I remember the winter meetings talking to an executive with the Texas Rangers, and this was before any of this had come out. We've read a lot about it in recent weeks, but he told me at the winter meetings, he said, we're kind of in a weird position. We don't know what our payroll can be next year because we don't know what our TV revenue is going to be. Now, again, you, you can Google it and figure out all the details about the, these these companies that have bought, you know, Diamond Sports being one of them and, and Bally being one of them, and they've bought multiple regional sports networks. Well, they're going bankrupt. They're defaulting on on agreements. And, and you know, if, if some of these teams are getting 50, 60, $70 million a year guaranteed from those deals, and now they're not. Major League Baseball is stepping in to make sure the games are being aired, but I've read 20% lower will be the revenue. So that's 20% of 50 or $60 million you weren't getting before. The teams that have more control over their regional sports network, the Red Sox, 80% own Nesson, uh, Marquee with the Cubs, Yes with the Yankees, SNY with the Mets, uh, the Dodgers network. You know, they have more control because they own the company so they can make whatever tweaks in the TV side they need to keep that going. Uh, there were times it was considered to be a risk. Now it's considered to be the best way. No, but it, it's exorbitant for a team to go start its own network. So it's not like you can just go do this overnight. Pittsburgh Pirates this week announcing that they will go to Pittsburgh Sportsnet, which is run by Nesson because FSG owns the Penguins. Penguins games are on that network, which FSG owns. They saw that as the best place to put their games. Uh, and, and so it, it's a shifting uh, surface under everybody's uh, feet right now in baseball. And, and they just, you know, how that affects your revenue directly impacts how that affects the money you have to spend on players. The problem for the Mariners appears to be that they owned 70% of their network before. Now they're going to own 100% of it. So they're paying the other 30% they weren't paying before. And now that money needs to, that 30% is a lot of money. So now they can spend less money on the players on the team because that money is now being diverted to buying out the rest of the network. That's correct. Unless you can make up that 30% somewhere else, right? Does that mean increased ticket prices? Does that mean, I, I don't, I, you know, how else can you make money? I don't know. A big sponsor comes in, whatever it is. But yes, at the end of the day, it all goes into one big bucket. This is how much revenue a team has. And then from that bucket, you take out a certain amount to, uh, to, to pay your players. And if that big bucket goes down, then the smaller bucket for your players goes down.
All right, we'll get back into a base, a true baseball question here. Since we last spoke, the Red Sox acquired Tyler O'Neill. Um, it's a move I like given what they gave up, given the potential that he showed. I believe it was in 2021 when he hit 30 plus home runs. Have no idea what version of Tyler O'Neill we'll get this year, but overall, I like the move given what it costs. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, in the end, when you, when you sift it all through, right, they, they, they ultimately swapped Verdugo for O'Neill. Right. And got pitching, by the way. Right. If you, if you want to go through the really good peripheral moves, I, I, I would give if you could take away the important things and just grade Breslow on the peripheral moves so far, he'd be a B plus or an A minus. He's done really well. He's got a lot of pitching depth in the high minors, which they didn't have. He's got a lot of bullpen help, which everybody can use. Uh, and in the end, on the outfield side, he swapped Verdugo, getting three pitches in return. And then for basically very little, he got O'Neill, who's a couple of things. A, he's right-handed. Verdugo's left-handed there, predominantly left-handed in the outfield, so it gives you a right-handed outfield. I, I think when you look at O'Neill compared to Verdugo, the, the analysis comes down to this. The upside of O'Neill is far higher than the upside of Verdugo. The problem is Verdugo is far more dependable than O'Neill. O'Neill can't stay on the field, hasn't been able yeah. to stay on the field since 21. He was eighth in the MVP voting in, in 2021. He was one of the best players in baseball in 2021. 30 home run power, two-time gold glove winner. He improves your defense right away, which is a good thing for this team. And in the end, he's $4 million cheaper than Verdugo. So you saved a little money, and you got a player who, if you can figure out a way to keep him healthy, could have a, a big-time impact on this offense. But that's a big if. So, in, so deep into the nitty gritty here, I'll get you out of here on this. Couple of, uh, good, what I think are good coaching hires in the last couple of weeks for the Red Sox. They go and get Dylan Lawson, who is the old hitting coach for the Yankees. They bring him in. Anytime you can get a former major league hitting coach to work with your minor leaguers as he's going to do, I consider that a win. I forget the guy's name. They go get some pitching guru from the Twins, who's now going to help in kind of this whole pitching department thing. TC, I don't know anything about these guys for the most part. They feel like good hires to me. There's no doubt. Uh, and on the pitching side, you couple that move with Andrew Bailey. These are two guys right. who are considered to really be uh, guys who can get the most out of pitchers. You know, there was a lot of talk, right, last year when Brazier left the Red Sox, discovered a new pitch with the Dodgers, and became a really good pitcher for them. There was a belief, fair or not, that that wasn't happening in Boston, that the Red Sox were not maximizing the potential of their pitchers. These uh, guys coming in to, to sort of uh, really flip over the, the pitching infrastructure of the organization are expected to do that. Lawson comes in as a guy who's worked with the best, and now he's going to be developing your AAA guys, and you have really good players coming to that point, right? You're talking about the Myers and the Yorks and the Jordans, the guys who are going to be getting their mm -hmm. AAA, maybe Sedan Raffaella, who really needs to improve his chase rate, might very well end up in AAA with O'Neal here now, and you got some offense. Uh, coming to the outfield, uh, he might be able to work with Lawson and get better at, at not chasing. That's the final piece of his puzzle. So, yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to what I said before. I, I really think if you could step back from the full throttle uh, hysteria and, and look at what Craig Breslow has done on the periphery of this team, it's been really good. If he can finish this off, that's why I'm not panicking. I don't, you know, this time, if he can go get two starters, and and maybe Yamamoto would be the best option, but I really like Montgomery and what he's done in big markets. I've been saying that to you all along. There have been reports that they'd be willing to give a qualifying offer. That would mean Snell 
<clears throat> could be in play, though I, I don't think that's as good a move. Giolito could be a good second guy. There's a lot of talk about trades for Lazardo in, in, in Miami or even Corbin Burns in Milwaukee. You know, there's a lot of avenues here to go get those two pieces. If you make all these purple moves and then go get two top of the rotation starters, you're going to love this offseason when it's all said and done. Tom Karam, Sox Insider over at Nesson TC. Appreciate you as always. Hope you have a great holiday and uh, we'll catch up in seven days. Thanks, man. Happy holidays to everybody. And, uh, yeah, I just hope Yamamoto makes his decision soon because I'm really – it's been a while since I've been this addicted to picking up my phone and refreshing and refreshing and refreshing to see what everybody's saying. Uh, and, and nobody knows anything more than you and I do. So let's just get this over with so the rest of the offseason can get going. Real quick, will you allow the Patriots to ruin your Christmas Eve? Absolutely not. No, I, I will say <laughs> – I will say we were talking about this. We, we go to relatives and, and spend the night there, so – you know, usually 9.30, 10 o'clock, the, the people start to leave the party and it dies down. Probably flip it on and watch the second half or the end of it. But, uh, man, they get Christmas Eve and they get New Year's Eve. And uh, I don't think there'll be much of a factor in anybody's holiday plans. <laughs> TC, much appreciated. We'll catch up then. Talk to you. Uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Absolutely. There goes TC, Tom Karen. By the way, the Patriots will be in our holiday plan. Some of you have asked. We our, We are airing. The Patriots game against the Broncos on Christmas Eve night. That will be a 5.30 start in coverage, and the kickoff is just after 8. So the Patriots against Denver in prime time. We will have that game on DEV. We'll have Christmas music leading up to that game. We'll have Christmas music coming out of that game. We'll have Christmas music all day on Christmas Day. And uh, into uh, the 26th, the late, mor- the early morning of the 26th, we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming at 5 a.m. with the morning news service once around the clock with Lee Cattell. But uh, yes, we will have the Patriots on on Christmas Eve night. So Red Sox off season. Look, I, a lot of what TC said is valid, right? If they're able to do the stuff they've done in the periphery and get Snell or Montgomery or whatever, you'll feel pretty good about it. But right now we're not there yet, right? Like yes, we have two months until we have to be at spring training, but Right now, we're not there yet, and there is some consternation and some belly aching about where the Patriots are at right now in this offseason because Yamamoto has until January 4th, so he's got two weeks left. Right, The way it works for Japanese players is there's a what's called a posting window of 45 days. So the moment he gets posted, there's 45 days to make a decision. If he doesn't make a decision or doesn't get signed, he goes back to Japan. Well, he's going to make a decision. He's going to get signed, but he has until January 4th, so that's where we're at there. High school basketball coming up about 20 minutes from now. Remember Montpelier and LaMoyle, Brent Curtis on the call with that one. So we'll have the coverage there at 645. The tip-off is at 7. Did you hear what one NFL quarterback had to say this week? What he said? That doesn't exist for the New England Patriots, baby. I'll tell you what it is next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on DEV. 15 minutes or so until we get you to high school basketball. Coverage of that game, Montpelier and Lamoille, Brent Curtis on the call. College basketball tonight, UVM men with a game against Toledo. Good game, Toledo favored by 5.5 
at last check in that one. Bad news for the Cats. Shamir Bogues will not play in this one, still dealing with that ankle injury. Although UVM is calling it lower body injury. So we we all know it's ankle, but they won't tell us it's ankle. So, uh, yeah, Shamir Bogues won't play. That's certainly a big loss, right? His kind of athleticism, his kind of experience, his defensive ability, his leadership, all things you would want in a matchup going into a matchup in a game where you're not favored, right? Where you're where you're the underdog, you're playing against a bigger conference team. So it's a tough miss tonight for UVM. I'm still going to watch the game. It's a 7 o'clock game. So be able to see much of the first half and then the entire second half. Hopefully the Cats can be in it and be better than they were against Virginia Tech in a game they lost by 22. Good win for the UVM women today, beating Sacred Heart. I think it ended up 73-64. to 64. Emma Utterback had 22 or so. Anna Olsen was in double figures. So, um, you know, good win there for the Catamount women. Eight and five right now for them as they get ready to, to uh, go on a little Christmas hiatus here. They'll take on Princeton coming out of the break on the 29th of December. But good for Lisa Kresge's team. If you are a low major team and you come out of your first 13 games at eight and five, you're doing something right because you're generally playing above your weight class. So the fact that you're over 500, pretty good. And Utterback was great today in transition on the block. Hit a couple of jumpers. Angela Matic was good uh, uh, in the starting lineup again today. Delaney Richardson actually went to the bench, which was something interesting there for Coach Kresge and her team. But uh, good stuff there. So, again, they'll play again on the 29th. The men will play tonight at 7 against Toledo. It's coming up about a half hour from now. Danny, did you hear the comments after the game on Monday night by Seahawks quarterback Drew Locke? So Drew Locke helps win the game for the Seahawks against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. And he's asked about his relationship with Geno Smith, right? Geno Smith is the starting quarterback of the Seahawks. Drew Locke is the backup. They had the same dynamic last year. Drew Locke, of course, wants to play. Everybody wants to play, unless you're Zach Wilson, apparently. But everybody wants to play. Drew Locke is the backup. He gets his chance to play, does something special on Monday night. He was asked after the game about his relationship with Geno. That's like an, an unsung hero in these last two weeks, man. Um, the encouragement that he's given me, the little pep talks here and there, helping in the film room. It just, it was so cool that like when roles flipped and I was going to have to go be the starter, he did the same thing for me that I was trying to do for him. Um, that's just an unselfish dude in there, man. Um, I appreciate him more than words can describe. You know where you wouldn't hear comments like that, Danny McKivergan? You wouldn't hear comments like that in the New England Patriots quarterback room. That's for sure. Nope. Okay. Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones do not have that kind of relationship. And I get it, right? I'm not inherently saying that it's wrong. But when you hear that, you realize how right that feels, right? When you hear Drew Locke talk, you're hearing about the true definition of a team. Guys that have each other's back. Guys that are supporting each other. I try to support him. He supports me. You see them celebrating together as after Locke throws the touchdown pass that wins the game to Jackson Smith and Jigba. They are connected. It's not like that everywhere. I don't necessarily think it has to be like that everywhere. But when you see it and you hear it and you have it, that is something that should be appreciated. You would never hear that in the Patriots locker room. Mac doesn't like Zappy. And Zappy doesn't like Mac, and that's been evident since at least this preseason for sure. Right? We talked all preseason about Mac's relationship with Zappy. In preseason, Mac's not supporting Zappy. He's not helping Zappy out. He won't even say Zappy's name in press conferences. I haven't heard Zappy say a whole lot of nice things about Mac this year either to his, for, for on his end of things. And in the games, 
Danny, we, we saw Mac on the sideline the other day, helmet on by himself. He's not sitting with Bill O'Brien. He's not sitting with Zappy. He's not going over film. He's not looking at tape. He's not looking at pictures. He's not looking at the iPad. He's not there to help Zappy. And again, he doesn't necessarily have to be. I get there is an inherent rivalry sometimes between your starting quarterback and your backup quarterback, especially when those quarterbacks are close to equal. Right? It's one thing for Jake Browning and Joe Burrow. It's one thing for Patrick Mahomes and whoever his backup is. There's a very clear hierarchy there and a very clear structure that you can kind of have everybody fall into place. That doesn't really exist in New England, so I get why things are more tense. But still, when I heard Drew Locke say that, I thought to myself, Mac would never do that. Zappy would never do that. And this team just isn't fully connected. And that room certainly isn't fully connected. And it hasn't been that way all year. They could still be good with a disconnected quarterback room, but they're not. And I think that it is the, the, the schism, the fracture, has grown larger here over the season. Mac clearly doesn't like Zappy. He's jealous of the fact that Zappy has his job. He's jealous of the fact that Zappy clearly has Belichick's affection more than he does. Probably jealous of the fact that Zappy gets, a, I think, a different offense called for him in some cases. And he's jealous of the fact that what happened last year, given that Zappy was given um, – a lot more love than he was. Now, Danny, my question for you is this. How should Mac be acting? Right? We talk about Mac not, you know, kind of being a sourpuss. How should Mac be acting? 802-585-3026. I think Mac is doing himself a disservice in all this. Right? Mac isn't looking like a great leader and isn't looking like a great teammate. And that's a problem. Right? Mac Jones wants a new opportunity next year. He clearly does. And I think he doesn't want to be in Foxborough next season. So Mac hasn't shown us great football on film. And now I don't know that he's showing us great leadership either. And that's a problem for him. I do believe, look, Mac Jones is going to get, he's going to be on a roster next year. He's not going to be jettisoned from the NFL. He's a former first round pick who played at Alabama and went to a, you know, was a top four finisher in the Heisman Trophy. He's going to get an opportunity, but this is not a great look for him. The tape on field hasn't been very good, and the off-field stuff, which is supposed to be his strength, now isn't looking great either. All off-season we heard he was a good leader, but now when adversity comes, he's by himself. He seems he was smiling the other day, but generally about his situation, he seems a little pouty, and he's certainly not helping Zappy. He doesn't seem to be there to support the team in every possible way. Did he do it at some point in the game? Yeah, maybe, but... I didn't see it in the one chance or two chances we got to see him on the field, or on the sideline, I should say. It's not a great look. 802-585-3026. Um, Danny, I'm making my official Mac Jones prediction for 2024 right now. Oh. Want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. Wednesday, December 20th, 6.36 p.m. Mark here it is down. What, here is what's going to happen with Mac Jones next season. He's going to be the backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Ooh. That is where Mac Jones is going. Because Shanahan of, wanted him anyway. A couple of things are going to happen here. One, Shanahan is so good, and he has made Brock Purdy so good, that people think, well, will think, that anyone who has come in contact with Shanahan has had proximity to greatness. So someone's going to give Sam Darnold a chance next year. Darnold is currently the backup for the 49ers, 
when we do the quarterback market and the quarterback shuffle again in the offseason, Sam Darnold is going to end up with a starting job. Does it mean he's going to be the starter next year for someone for 17 games? Not necessarily. But Mitch Trubisky sat a year, ended up in Pittsburgh, got to be the guy for a little while. I think that's going to be Sam Darnold next season, right? He's got all the tools. He's still young, former first-round pick, former top-five pick, played at USC. He's got the college pedigree. He's reset himself. He's learned from from Shanahan. He's been around Purdy. Someone's going to give him a shot. The Niners are then going to be in the market for a backup quarterback themselves. And to the point you just made, they loved Mac Jones coming out. They thought about taking Mac Jones at number two or three, wherever it was that they took Lance. Shanahan clearly saw something in him, will see something in him again, will understand that his offense is quarterback friendly. It worked for Matt Ryan. It worked for Joe Flacco. It worked for Robert Griffin III, or Joe Flacco. Uh, it's worked for Robert Griffin III. It's worked for Jimmy Garoppolo, excuse me. It's worked for Brock Purdy. He thought he was developing something for Lance. He'll think he can get the best out of Mac, and he'll take what Mac does well and try to elevate him. And that's where I think Mac's going to end up, and that's frankly what I think is going to be best for Mac. Because Mac needs to be in a no-pressure situation, and that is, if Mac had to play, he's got a lot of weapons and a lot of help around him. He's got the best offensive coach in the league around him. And he's going to have a chance to sit back, learn, observe, and get better. And then in 2025, he could be that year, Sam Darnold. And he can resurface again and get another chance. Because I fully believe Darnold is going to get another chance here. Where? I don't know. Maybe it'll be the Minnesota Vikings. Because the Vikings might go to the playoffs, and they're going to be picking in the in the 20s this year. Kirk Cousins is a free agent. I don't think we think that Josh Dobbs or Nick Mullins are their long-term answer. Maybe they play with Darnold and draft a quarterback late first, sit him for a couple of games, and that's Darnold's job to start. Possible. I'm trying to think of other places, right? If Arizona moves off Kyler Murray, drafts a quarterback in the top three, Maybe Darnold plays there. Seems a little more far-fetched, but anything is possible. I hear this stuff about how Sean Payton can't stand Russell Wilson. Maybe Sam Darnold ends up in Denver. No idea. But anything is possible. And I think Mac Jones is going to be a member of the San Francisco 49ers next season. So there you go. You can mark it down that that is my prediction. Um, December 20th, 6.36 p.m., now 6.39 it is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. 60 seconds left in the program here. So let me give you a little reminder of what's happening tonight. Uh, high school basketball, Montpelier and Lamoille with Brent Curtis on the call. That comes up here in about five minutes from now. You can go download the podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. The Tom Karen interview will be there. The Freddie Coleman interview that I did earlier will be there as well. Um, tomorrow we're back at it. Buster Olney of ESPN will stop by. Should be with us at 545. We have high school basketball again tomorrow uh, on these airwaves. So we'll be out again at 645. We'll recap the UVM game against Toledo. Again, no Shamir Bogues in that one. Looks like a tough that, – that will certainly be a tough loss for the Catamounts as they take on the Rockets in this uh, mini Ohio road trip that they're doing right now. So uh, look forward to watching that game. Tips off 20 minutes from now. We'll see what happens. We'll have our takeaways from it tomorrow also and uh you know it's gonna be thursday start to get you ready again for the nfl weekend this is the brady farkas show on dev thanks to tc thanks to freddie thanks to danny for pressing all the right buttons brent curtis is coming up next go cats enjoy high school hoops and we'll talk to you tomorrow the brady farkas show on wdev am and fm